Hello and welcome back to the talk with Chef Michael. I'm your host, Chef Michael. You guys may know me from Instagram, MasterChef, or from my cookbook, but this podcast is really something different. This is where we dive in deep and talk about the food industry, keto, diet culture, all that kind of good stuff, but we get real about it. Every episode, I'm bringing you a new guest, an expert in the field, or someone who's a big part of this space. So today, I got a very special guest for you, but before we get started, let me just first give you a little bit of information. So if you want to find out more about this episode or any of our other episodes, go to chefmichael.com slash podcast. That's chef-michael.com slash podcast. You can also help support this podcast and keep the cameras rolling by going to patreon.com slash chefmichael. There you can sign up for just a few dollars a month and join me for some bonus content, some free gifts. Hang tight. There's some cool stuff coming, but join me for just a few dollars a month at patreon.com slash chefmichael. Every episode, I do my personal thoughts and reflections and kind of make a little bonus episode. So join me for that. Finally, I got to send a huge thank you to our sponsor, Redmond Real Salt. Now, you guys probably know from watching me on Instagram, I genuinely use Redmond salt in all of my cooking. There's always a jar of it next to me on the stove. Not only do I think it tastes great, it's good in cooking, but honestly, with the keto lifestyle and the importance of getting in those those you know, electrolytes and minerals. I love Redmond salt. It's made from a dried up Jurassic seabed in Utah. It's mined, it's natural, and it's packed with over 65 trace elements. So it's really the healthiest salt you can use in my opinion. And it's just definitely a favorite of mine. Now, that being said, most grocery stores now have it, so you can just buy it when you go grocery shopping next uh, next time. But if you're interested or you can't find it at the grocery store, go to redmond.life, redmond.life. They have tons of cool products, not only salt. I use their toothpaste as well. They got face masks. They got all kinds of awesome stuff, seasonings. Go to redmond.life.com, put in the discount code CHEFMICHAEL and get 15% off your order. So thanks again, Redmond Salt for supporting this podcast. Now, let's begin, but before I do, I wanna tell you a little bit about our guest, Mr. Joe Duff. Now he's an epic vlogger, recipe creator, cookbook author, and just an all around nice guy. But I thought he'd be somebody great to really talk about, you know, this industry of recipe development and vlogging. Hopefully he can give us some insights into how much work goes into what happens to create a successful food blog. So I'm gonna welcome him to the stage. Mr. Joe Duff, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, it's great to see you, my friend. Welcome, welcome. It's great to see you too, man. Thanks for having <laughs> me on the show. I, I am surprised that we're we're making this happen given the uh, weather in Texas the past week. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to be here too. I, so <laughs> this is pre-recorded. So <laughs> just so you guys know, uh, this is my first podcast recording after the winter apocalypse here in Texas. Um, obviously, I went days without power and water and it was a mess. So by the time this comes out, uh, you guys won't have a full appreciation of what it took to get here today, but uh, I came prepared. I'm wearing my palm trees and flamingos. I needed to bring a little tropical weather to myself today, even though it is not that way outside. But thank you, Joe Duff, for being here, uh, which is funny because if I recall, you're in Buffalo, New York. So the idea of snow collapsing the system is probably pretty funny for you. How much snow do you have outside your window right now? Uh, there's about three feet, man. And that's pretty normal for this time of the year. Uh, of course, we 
have had bad storms probably about seven years ago. We had kind of the same thing that's happening in Texas uh, this weekend happen to us. And it was not an enjoyable seven <laughs> day. You know, everybody's got no. generators out. But in Texas, I don't think a lot of people have generators. Nobody's ready no. for it, really. No, nobody was ready for it, which I think we've all learned a lot to be ready. And a lot of these electric companies obviously have to get winterization protocols and stuff. But like, there's medical facilities and hospitals that don't even have generators, which it sounds insane now. Um, but just the, the whole industry, the whole culture, like there is, you get, you know, a 30 degree day once a year, there's just no structure for this. So um, it was kind of yeah. funny because, you know, when I first started posting about the drama here a week ago, I was getting these kind of obnoxious messages in my DMs from people in, you know, Chicago, in the North or whatever it may be, kind of saying like, ha ha, this is us every day. Now, I just moved here a year ago from Pittsburgh, so I'm used to snow. But like you said, there's a major infrastructure lapse here um, and they have to get their shit together because this is not going to fly. <laughs> I saw that the prices on electricity too are like outrageous and I don't really understand how that works, but I just saw it for natural gas, for instance, a week ago, natural gas was like $2 and 40 cents for whatever right. metric they use for the gas. And now right. it's like $200. Like it went up right. 100%. Right. And no, it's, it's wild. People are getting these like six, $7,000 electric bills here in Texas because they have like you have this weird marketplace. It's like this free market electric thing. So when I, like, for instance, when I moved into my house, I had to pick from like pages of electric providers and I chose all wind energy. So I'm like green. My house is hundred percent wind energy and sure. It costs a few pennies more per kilowatt or whatever, but the, but a lot of people sign up for these discounted electric services, mm. but on a variable price. And so when demand went up, they went up like two, three, four, five hundred percent, and now people are going to like probably be fighting this in court because taking advantage of people in a crisis is is not cool. Um, yeah, I'm lucky because I had I had bought a fixed price um, wind energy plan, but I could have gone variable. I mean, it's like this free market economy here for power. So, and, and the irony of like living in the state that is sort of the power center, you know, like you think of Texas yeah. and oil and um, and the fact that we ran out of electricity is sort of bizarre. Um, similar with gas, like it wasn't until what, maybe yesterday, the day before you could actually get gas at a gas pump. Another thing they don't really talk about on the news, like the gas pumps ran out because people were sitting in their cars for heat mm -hmm. and like, there's just no gas. I had a friend who was just like, look, like I, I don't have running water, but I can't get anywhere because I only have like 20 miles left on my gas tank and I need to save that for an emergency. So it's, it's just wild. It's really wild stuff. But it, it's very Texas at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Texan, so I'm allowed to talk shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you've got the outside perspective of yeah, yeah. weird things that happen in Texas. Uh, <laughs> were you born and raised in Pittsburgh? Have you lived there your whole life? No, I was born and raised in the D.C. area in Maryland, actually, just oh, north. Okay. Um, and so I've, I've been on the East Coast most of my life. I've been in New York. I from Pittsburgh all the time, I would go to Buffalo because I love going to Niagara. Um, and so, you know, going to Buffalo or driving through it and stuff was a common thing. So I'm used to that Northern weather. Um, but I am a new Texan. I was looking for a change. My fiance was like, I don't care where we go as long as it's hot. I was like, fine, I can do that. 
<laughs> this is the hot um, place to move now, man. Yeah, uh, as long as there's warm weather and and jobs, I'm fine with that. We actually fell in love with Austin. It's such a cool town. It's very not Texas in the sense mm -hmm. of the cultural expectation. Um, I had never been to Texas before we moved here. I just came once to visit, and we like within a day we're like, yeah, Austin is just an awesome city. It's sort of the right balance of um, cool and trendy, but not huge. Um, the prices are great. It has great culture, great diversity, just a lot of things that I really liked about it. Um, but I feel a little bit played because I didn't expect winters like this. That's all right. Most of the uh, year it's still beautiful. And today it's back in the seventies. So go figure. That's yeah, that's wild. Like all that snow must've, it's gone now. I'm assuming it's right? all gone. Yeah. yeah. All that's left is like, there's still people without water. Uh, you still can't find food in the grocery store. Uh, I'm in the right industry <laughs> because I was fortunate enough not to ever come close to a food shortage because as you will understand as a recipe developer, our pantries are overflowing probably most of the time. <laughs> so My I was sort of lucky in that sense and grateful to be in the industry that I'm in because I, I was never close to running out of food, but a lot of others were. So um, yeah. learned a lot out of this experience, got a lot of gratitude and a lot of appreciation for the small things like a hot shower, little things, yeah. being able to have a nice coffee, like these little things of life um, became uh, really treasured. So I'm walking away with some extra gratitude. Yeah, I'm just happy that you're safe and I'm happy that we're doing this. This is- uh, Thanks, man, I appreciate wow. it. I really, I really had no expectations of this. I know we were- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, same. This isn't gonna happen, but here we are. <laughs> uh, a, a, a couple other uh, episodes obviously had have been canceled or will be, you know, rescheduled, but I really appreciate you being here and for being so patient. And you were so nice and messaging me, like, you know, if I need to postpone, you were flexible with me. So I do appreciate that and, and sort of the support. That being said, let's talk about you for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> enough about Texas. Let's talk about you. Uh, tell, I know who you are, but uh, maybe for our listeners, give us a little bit of background um, because you've been in the food game a hell of a lot longer than me, actually. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story, who you are and kind of where you started on this journey from the beginning to, you know, Joe Duff, the diet chef with two cookbooks and uh, an amazing YouTube channel and a vlog, a blog and all this stuff. So, so tell us your story. Well, thank you for, uh, that really a uh, great, uh, intro. Um, my name is Joe Duff. I grew up in the restaurant industry, um, my dad owns a very famous chicken wing restaurant here in Buffalo, probably the actually the oldest family owned and operated chicken wing restaurant in the world. Uh, my mom worked in the restaurant too. So my mom ran the front of the house. My dad ran the back of the house. My earliest childhood memory, uh, and this is a true thing, is I would make sandwiches in my great aunt's kitchen <laughs> with her bread and her lunch meat and I'd sell the sandwiches to my great aunts and uncles because I'm Italian so we have these big Italian <laughs> get-togethers and I thought it was the coolest thing I'd sell these sandwiches for a dollar and um, I wanted to do that so much after that one episode that I'm pretty sure my mom told me that like you can't sell sandwiches to your aunts and uncles anymore because that's like <laughs> all I wanted to do uh, when I'd go over there. Uh, so that's like my earliest memory. And I think that's really um, just because I, I grew up in the restaurant. Uh, I had exposure to just the business side of things, too. 
And I was always fascinated with cooking and with business um, and just the restaurant in general. So um, that's kind of where everything started is, is there. And my first job is at the restaurant. I'm seven years old. My dad gives me his pocket knife, trying to get me like out of his hair. He'd bring me to the restaurant sometimes in the summer or on the weekends. And it was obviously warm outside. So he gives me his pocket knife. He tells me, go out in the uh, parking lot and scrape off the gum because we had a gumball machine, 25 cent gumball machine. So like you can imagine huh. parking lots filled with gum and it's <laughs> right. a never ending job because every day there's just more and more gum. So um, that was my first job was seven years old, scraping gum off of the parking lot. Right. Um, but I obviously he'd bring me a, a lot to the restaurant and I, I basically grew up there. Um, when I was 14, uh, I had been pretty overweight at this point and I was into sports. I broke my foot. I realized that if I continued to eat how I was eating, I was going to be really big. Like I was kind of chunkier. I was heavier at the time, but not like mm -hmm. real big. And I just knew that like this was going to be bad. Um, I broke my foot the first day of summer. So I had all summer to just kind of be stuck at home really. Um, and that was when I decided to do basically a keto diet. Like it was like this low carb. It wasn't, huh? Keto wasn't super popular. At well, that. I was going to say that's like before keto was, yeah, really a thing. I'm not calling you old. I, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but, but that, that's, that's before there was a word for it. I mean, we've always had variations, right? Like Atkins and other things. I mean, there's, there's yeah. no denying that carbs cause weight gain, but yeah, that's interesting. So. I, um, I'm like 14 and I'm, I've got this whole summer to, to do basically the keto diet. And it was obviously it's really convenient owning a chicken wing restaurant and doing keto or low sure. carb. So basically I, I ate chicken wings and like, I would get, um, steaks at the restaurant, bacon, uh, just chicken breasts, um, just whatever it was. I remember, um, golfing, but not. At the end of summer, when my foot had healed, I was finally able to do some things. I remember going to the golf course and getting like just hamburger patties and eight hot dogs and like having them in a cup and finishing my round, just eating hot dogs out of a cup. And I lost 30 pounds, um, actually, by the end of summer, uh, the next year, uh, I remember this girl saw me and she like, she would kind of did like a double take, like Joe. Interesting. And, uh. That was, that was part of it too. It's like, obviously when you're in high school, you know, like I, I want to kind of start impressing girls a little bit. Yeah. So the like pressure. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be in shape. Uh, sure. And, um, that was kind of the start of it for me. That was the start of kind of getting into cooking, um, for myself and kind of just, um, fitness in general. And from there, everything kind of evolved. I was always into cooking after that. I always made my own food i'd be keeping my mom up at midnight on the weekends with the blender and i would laugh yep, same <laughs> I, would tell her I, I was like you know i could either be at a party right now drinking or i could be running the blender at midnight so this is probably the best case scenario is that i'm i'm cooking at one in the morning or something and oh she, yeah I, I remember that as a teen like just making a mess of my mom's kitchen just like inventing food like an idiot at a teenager yeah. like a sink full of dishes 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's great when you have a mom who can probably clean that up for you too. That's, that was, she usually I, made me clean it up. She would usually get pretty pissed off cause she liked to clean house, but, <laughs> yeah. but I, I do have distinct memories of that clinging around like the dishes in the kitchen as, as like a 15 year old, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, that just led to, um, me getting really into, um, health and weight loss and fitness. And that stayed true pretty much my whole life. Um, once college came around, um, I had a chance to select a dorm that had a kitchen, like there nice. was a kitchen on every other floor. So I selected this dorm, of course, so that I could cook. Um, so I cooked for myself a lot in college and then, yep, same. um, I, I, that was my freshman year. And then we moved into apartment and, uh, I always was cooking for myself. Like I rarely ate out, just, uh, lived in Florida and we'd go to BJ's and Costco all the time. Sure. Sure. Did you, did you find yourself cooking for friends in college too? For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I did, um, not a ton, but I, I did, um, I mostly because like my friends, I was super into the health and fitness and weight loss, but my friends weren't necessarily to that extreme right. as like me. Um, but I do know that, I, and and I, I'd like to um, say this too, you know, my brand is the diet chef, but I'm a home cook. Like I've just right. grown up in the restaurant and I've grown up cooking. I'm not a chef uh, trained or anything like that myself. It's just that the diet home cook doesn't really sound as good as the diet chef. Um, <laughs> I don't want people to think like th that I'm some kind of like professional chef because that is something that obviously you are and that distinction. Although you'd, you'd be surprised how few industry chefs actually went to culinary school and stuff. That's a, that's a whole other topic, but um, yeah, yeah I, you know, if, if you're making money in food and, and you're working, you're a chef, if you, believe you're a chef, you know, um, there's a lot of ways to gain that skill, just like anything, right? There's, I'm sure you didn't go to school for videography or whatever, but you know, we, we have to learn, uh, and that's a good way to move it to another conversation in a few minutes too. like kind of what I admire about you is your ability to wear so many different hats as a vlogger, but, uh, I don't want to cut you off cause, <laughs> cause that's a whole other conversation, but yeah, yes. no, I'd love to get into that too, because, um, I think that I've got a lot of value to, um, give the audience in, in that respect. Um, Absolutely. but just to kind of circle back, wrap things up really quick with how this all gets to where we're going, um, is so college kind of ended I moved back home, worked at the restaurant for almost 10 years. Um, and about six years into that or five years into that, I realized I, I had injured my back and I realized that I wanted to, um, I, I couldn't work out because of the back injury um, as much. I had a severely herniated L5 S1 disc and I was in tremendous amount of back pain. So to kind of fill that void of not being able to work out as much because it was a big hobby of mine, um, I started to do some cooking and filming it and putting it on YouTube because I thought it'd be fun. Um, I thought I had some really great recipes to share, obviously, from doing this for so many years. And uh, that's when it started. It was 2014. And when I started it, I, I thought that I could make a living doing the YouTube cooking thing. I think I was naive to think that 
it would happen a lot faster than it did. Not that it was going to happen fast, right? But it took five years before I was able to go like full time doing right it. to monetize and, enough to make a living. Yeah, enough to leave the restaurant. Uh, my dad is eighty two, and he's he works there every day. Uh, yeah, and not- let me just say, your dad is a fucking character. I love when you bring your dad in your Instagram stories. He's epic. And the man, my God, like seeing him at 82, still on his feet, like carrying boxes and moving stuff. I mean, that guy's a rock star, man. He's awesome. He, he there's no job that is below him. Um, right. He, right. He does every, he does the worst jobs that you can do at the restaurant. Doesn't yeah. complain about it at all. That's a, that's a very, um, it's kind of an old school mentality that is sadly kind of dying out. I think young people are not as comfortable doing that kind of that hustle that, that never ending hustle. And like a lot of people in the restaurant industry have that. Um, but it's definitely really cool to see. I I love when you bring your dad in your stories, even the silly stuff about like his movie reviews and just the character. He, he is literally the best. Um, He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as I love him, you know, being in a, in the family business, I realized early on working in the restaurant that I was only going to have so much control and say and input with the decisions and rightfully so, because he's a lit, it's literally his entire life. He's invested. Right. He started working at the restaurant when he was seven. And that's like, I was seven. He was seven. It, he was born in 1939. The restaurant opened in 1946. So right. the day the restaurant opened is the day that he got his first job and interesting job was more serious than my job. Like it was a real family hustle, um, to get that restaurant to be a success. And, um, uh, I, I never wanted him to retire. I never wanted to, um, uh, take over for him or anything like that. I just wanted him to naturally, you know, figure out like if you're going to retire, I, I can lead the ship, but I do recognize that like his input is the end all be all like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's the soul of that restaurant, you know, for sure. Like once he does pass away that restaurant, like when I, I see it and I'm there, like, I, I feel like I'll, feel like it's him like i just associate yeah, for him. sure do you do you think that you I know you said you can but do you think you would take it over eventually when he's ready to pass it along i i i plan on it i would like to um, that's awesome my wife is um probably more inclined to run it than i am um she spent a lot of her years in the huh. hospitality restaurant um space too actually worked we have a few restaurants that are franchises um she worked at one of our sister locations for a while um and i think she would do a lot of the daily right uh, checking in on it running it my dad has a partner now he had to bring a partner on like 30 years ago because he was paying people in cash and had had no ideas how computers work or anything like that (laughs) so once you can pay people in cash anymore he had to uh find a partner. <laughs> he just wasn't uh, going to yeah. technology behind everything. Um, so he, we do, we, he has a partner, um, that's helping him there. But I, I think that I 
am going to be involved in the restaurant, but obviously kind of the path that I'm on right now is really what I feel like is my calling to do. Sure. Uh, sure. Yeah. What, what I think is interesting about this, well, there's a, a lot actually <laughs> that I want to touch back on. Uh, a lot of it I, I relate to pretty heavily. Um, it wasn't my family's restaurant, but I got my first job in a, in a little Italian restaurant in my, um, in my small town at 13 years old and kind of like you scraping the gum. All I was doing, because I wasn't even working legally at the time, was rolling the napkins with the, the fork and knife inside, um, like yeah. an old school Italian restaurant. And I just do that for hours on end. And I think half of it was just to keep me busy. Um, mm -hmm. And then the owner would like sneak me a $20 bill <laughs> for the day, for the whole day. Um, you know, so I, I relate a lot to what you were saying, kind of just being in that world of restaurants from a very young age. Um, there's a There's a buzz, there's a sort of, I don't know the right word, but almost a high for being a part of a restaurant. That hustle is very unique. That said, it's not all good either, right? Like it, it's yeah. it's very tough. Um, I left the restaurant industry at 25. It it was exhausting to me. Um, I I'm I'm so impressed with people who work front or back of house who work in restaurants their whole lives because it is a absolute hustle and anybody who does that deserves major major praise um so seeing your dad still at 82 on his feet all day frying chicken wings is one of the most epic you know epic scenes that that i've been able to watch on instagram to be honest that i just have so much respect for that um the other, another thing i think is really interesting about what you just said was how early you had found nutrition that's different than my story um you know, my, my family always wanted us to be healthy. And so I was aware of what healthy food was and wasn't. But my weight gain and then weight loss story didn't really start until college for me. And then after into my um, into my 20s, you were really tuned into that at an early age. I guess I'm kind of curious how you feel that affected you as a teenager, knowing that you had to lose weight and what that kind of did as a teenager for you. And then like, it's hard to imagine being in college and thinking about nutrition. I, I asked you if you cooked for your friends and you said yes, but they weren't interested in healthy food, which is so funny because I would throw these, these dinner parties and be like way over the top with lobster and, and stupid things in college that I couldn't afford. Uh, just because I loved like, you know, I just love food and cooking and pretending to be a fancy chef at, you know, 19 in a dorm room. Um, sure. But it, I didn't discover health until I was almost 30. So I, I don't know. What, what was that journey like for you? What, what did that feel like? Was it your parents pushing you to get healthy? Or did you really do that for yourself? Because that's pretty, that's pretty mature. Yeah. And I think that the last word that you said is probably the most symbolic of the way that I mm. felt at the time was um, it was really all me. Uh, like I said, I was really into sports and athletics and I thought like, you know, I was going to get a scholarship for some kind of a sport. Um, I played baseball, football, golf, Got uh, it. something I'd get a scholarship for, but I've, I, I was not uh, that much of an athlete to do that. Um, and also it's weird because as the years went on after 14, like those four years in high school, I ended up just getting more and more into fitness than the sports themselves. So hmm. um, I had 
started to think like I might be a pediatric nutritionist and open up my own clinic for obese kids. Uh -huh. That was something I really thought I might do. Um, and I, I was going to open a, I, I was going to open a clinic and, and, um, I had these plans, but I wasn't great in science. And I know that there's like a lot of science involved in becoming a doctor. <laughs> I don't know. So then I was like, maybe I'll train athletes and I'll be a strength and conditioning coach, um, for some kind of a program, either a professional team or a college team. And, uh, I guess just when I was growing up, I always felt like I related to older people better because I, because I had gotten into like health and weight loss and fitness so young and I never really had a taste for alcohol. I never really got into drugs or anything like that. It just never seemed appealing to me. Um, I always felt like I just related to the older people a little bit better. Usually people who are like our age now, like thirties, like when I was in college, right. I, my roommate was older. His friends were older. They had kind of already moved on from like the party years of college <laughs> and they, they play like board games and maybe have a few beers like on a weekend. And that was something I think I related with a lot more because I wasn't really into like the wild partying of like normal yeah. college. Um, but if, you know, if it wasn't your family, do you think that just growing up in a family food business played into your passion for cooking? I mean, it has to have, right? I think that it does in the sense of I would just always see my dad cooking um, at right. the restaurant. And you you probably know how this is. Um, I don't think I ever saw my dad cook at our house once. Hmm. <laughs> like. I saw my mom cook a lot, but my mom worked at the front of the house and ran the waitresses and the bussers. He probably wanted nothing to do with the kitchen if you're being here all day. Exactly. He doesn't yeah. cook today for himself. He will not cook. Yeah, I think Interesting. Like of cooking at the restaurant is just like taken away. Like any I mean, I, I get that in the sense that it's your job, right? It's our job to cook. I, I'm cooking as much now as I ever have in my life just as a part of recipe development and writing cookbooks and all this stuff. And then it's funny. Cause like sometimes by dinner, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want to cook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of funny because it becomes your job. No matter how passionate you are, you need that separation from work and personal domestic life. I think for a lot of people. I, I agree with you. And um, to kind of circle back on what you're saying, uh, just thinking about it more, I think, a lot of the cooking was sort of out of necessity. Uh, it was mm. a lot of, I couldn't order like a low carb Chinese thing uh, at the start of when I was um, doing low carb and keto when I, when I was 14. Like a lot of it was, how do I make this fit what I'm doing? Right. Because I loved, right. I mean, I did do low carb and keto for about a year when I started, but I love just like trying a lot of different diets. Like my, my story starts there, but it evolves over the years of trying like a lot of different things, having some success, not having a lot of success to try just experimenting and seeing what was working for me over the years. Um, and throughout that whole process, just always finding something to cook that would fit whatever I was doing. Right. 
was kind of following at the time. That that's interesting. You know, I'm I'm kind of curious though, since I, I don't know how old you are, but I'd imagine we're talking 10, 15 years at least from experimenting with a low carb diet. I, I guess I'm curious what it's been like for you to kind of watch the keto diet evolve and turn into something that's now rather mainstream. What's it been like to kind of watch that? Is it sort of like an I told you so moment or you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> I, I, I think more so for me, it's I'm excited to see people um, find it. And I think I, I see it as like kind of a stepping stone because I think for a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people, it's, it, it's a great motivator. It's a great uh, teacher. Um, it's a great, It's a tool. Yeah, and it's a great thing to just learn um, about yourself. Like, does this style of eating work for you? I think that people really should, as much as people want to like knock on keto, you know, there's that other side to it. Uh, try it. See how you feel when you're on it. And if you enjoy the way that you feel, maybe not even being in ketosis, but following more of a keto eating pattern where your carbs are lower protein's a little bit higher, fats right. moderate and high too. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with not wanting to right. eat a lot of added sugar or things like that? I think, you know, people um, who are naysayers, uh, they'll say, oh, you don't have to do keto to lose weight. And that's, that's totally true. But I think that you're also just glossing over the fact that a lot of people just feel better not eating a bunch of sugar. Like, of course you could, yeah. eat, of course you could eat anything in a caloric deficit, jelly beans and lose weight, but you're going to feel like crap. So, right, right. I'm so glad you're saying that. Cause I, I obviously <laughs> agree completely. And I'm kind of laughing cause I talk about this all the time. Like, uh, is, can anybody really say that all the sugar and wheat we're eating on a daily basis is working for us as, you know, as a society, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And like, you know, I also say, I'd rather somebody be keto once a week. It doesn't have to be this like all encompassing heavy life decision. I think people feel really overwhelmed with keto because it's such a dramatic shift from our thinking, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of people who are vegan because they just want to be or because it's healthier. Or there's a lot of people who do meatless Mondays because they think like one day a week without meat isn't a bad decision. I don't know why we don't like people don't just have like <laughs> a low carb day or whatever. You know, if, if you're making a good decision once a week to cut out some of the sugars, you're going to feel whatever that percentage is, 15 percent, 12 percent better or whatever. So I, I love that you're saying that. And I totally agree. I just feel my best um, on keto having nothing to do with diet or weight loss per se. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely a powerful tool. I think for a lot of people, I also like what you said, cause I, I was vegetarian for eight years before I was keto and it didn't work for me. I, I was vegetarian cause I thought it was healthy. Um, and it can be, um, and I was not one of these vegetarians just eating French fries the whole time. Like I cooked really good food all the time and it, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for my body type. It didn't work for my genetics or whatever you want to say. It didn't work for me. And to your point, keto is not going to work for everybody either, which is why with this podcast and with, you know, 
all of the other things that I do on the internet, like I don't ever really push keto or have an agenda around it. It has yeah. just worked for me and I genuinely love keto food. I just mm -hmm. think keto food is awesome. Um, and so like, that's why I share it, but it's like, I've been cooking a lot longer than I've been keto and not everything I cook is keto. Um, not everything I eat is keto, right? Yeah. It, it's just, it's just, a, it's an awesome tool. Um, that being said, you've watched this transition to keto being much more mainstream. And I, and I liked your response, you know, um, that it's nice to see people finally kind of picking up on this as it gets mainstream. Do you feel that it's losing some of its, what's the word I'm looking for? Some of its value as we end up with packaged goods and an overwhelming amount of misinformation, do you feel like there's something missing, a certain soul to it? Or do you feel like as it grows, as the available options off the shelf get broader for keto people, that it's a, it's a good thing? I'm just curious what your stance on that, because I talk about this a lot. I think that the, the influx of packaged goods for keto is, uh, is a double-edged sword, shall we say. Yeah. And I think that um, I probably agree with you. I think that uh, people in the space or out of the space even realize the uh, money that there is to be made in making packaged goods that are quote unquote keto. Right. And the more we make things convenient with keto, um, I think the there's the chance that people are lazy and think that just because that this says keto on the package that like, oh, I'm going to lose weight because it just says keto right. on the package or I can eat all of this and overindulge. Like a lot of that stuff that's already made is easy to overindulge in. Um, it's obviously a good thing because uh, and I mean, just these packaged goods because it is convenient for people. So they don't have to make things from scratch so they can stay on track with the diet, maybe a little bit easier. But I think that a lot of beginners, um, can just get caught up in just eating a lot of the package yeah. stuff. You don't, what I'm, I guess what I'm right. trying to say is you don't really do a lot of the research behind eating keto. You're just exactly. eating keto products and exactly any other reason that it just says keto. And that's the problem, I think. I, I agree. I think the um, junk food is still junk food, right? I think what you do, which is really one of the reasons why I, I admire your work is that you create delicious food out of regular whole ingredients. Right. And, and I know it's not, this is the double-edged sword be, behind packaged treats in the keto space is it's really nice for people to have an accessible source to, you know, stay keto. Let's just say like, I'd rather somebody have a keto treat than a non-keto treat, right? To your point about education, I have a feeling that a lot of people are giving up on keto too soon or it creates some of these misconceptions. And I've talked about this in a past episode where things like, oh, keto's expensive. Oh, keto doesn't work or whatever, you know, like 
it's not expensive if you just cook at home. Ground beef and, and you know, and, and sauces and, and green vegetables are not expensive. Um, yeah. But if you're buying a ton of pre-made foods, it's going to be expensive. And, and as the ingredients like sweeteners and almond flour and those prices come down, hopefully the manufacturers bring down because it's true. Health food, uh, keto or not, all the kind of health food industry generally has a higher price. You know, you walk into GNC or whatever. Uh, to buy supplements or, you know, uh, protein bars or whatever. It comes at a higher price. But I think it it sets a, a pretty risky precedent where, like you said, especially new people looking for solutions are leaning in to packaged goods, quick, co- you know, convenient solutions, um, rather than really understanding the decision-making around food. And then the other piece of it is the emotional part where, and, and this is what I was asking you a little bit about, you know, as a young age, for a lot of people to lose weight, you have to understand why. You have to kind of do the self-work and kind of build a healthy relationship with food. And eating keto treats once in a while because you're having a craving is fine. But I think it still fires some of those same emotional signals um, that say a regular donut or a regular cupcake would as well, even though it doesn't have the sugar, it's still triggering that emotional response. And until we kind of get control over that, it's hard to actually work on yourself a little bit. Um, I think for many of us, you included people in this health space or weight loss space, especially it's a lifelong journey, right? Like even if you or I have lost 60, 70, 80 pounds, it is still a lifelong journey in fitness and in health. These things don't happen overnight. And just because we lost weight at whatever age we did, doesn't mean that it's like over and now we're just like living our life. Like we're still growing and learning. You you had said a minute ago about um, th- what you started with wasn't what you finished with. Like you went through different diets and different um, different decisions around your food and health over the years. And it will continue to change, I'd imagine. Like today, your keto uh, might look really different than what you're doing another 10 years from now. But I suspect that you'll still be doing something 10 years from now. I doubt you'll just be like eating the standard American diet in 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I I think to what you said um, is a really important point to just reemphasize. And that's just, you know, weight loss in, in, in being on that journey, it is so much more than just the food, like the mentality aspect of it and figuring out why you might be overweight. Like a lot of people are overeating because they're stressed, they're Mm -hmm. bored times, they're depressed. There's, I think there's like four or five reasons why you would go to food, um, as kind of support right and no matter if you're keto or you're not no matter what you're doing that still can be an issue so like getting sometimes down to the emotional personal reasons um is uh more important than just even figuring out how many calories you should be eating or how many right. carbs you be eating to be in ketosis like doing the self-work i think is the most important aspect of all of that because if you don't get that right, or if you're not constantly trying to get that right and learn, um, 
then I think you're gonna have a really hard time seeing sustained success. Right. Right. No. And that's why I was kind of fascinated because um, I, I actually didn't know. And I've, I've followed you for a long time. And I even before this podcast was like kind of reading your story and stuff. And but I still didn't know that you were kind of on this health journey from such a young age, because a lot of people don't make the decision to start kind of loving themselves. And, you know, because that's what it is when you when you decide to eat right or go to the gym or make good decisions in your life outside of nutrition, that's a decision that you're making to say, like, I'm going to do something for myself. I'm going to take care of myself, maybe for the first time in my life. Um, and that's a decision that takes a lot of people many, many, many years to come to. Um, I would imagine there's a lot of teenagers who who feel overweight or chubby or, or get made fun of in school. Um, and maybe they want to lose weight for those reasons kind of on a very surface level, but like you just said, kind of being able to dig deeper and say, this is not only why I want to lose weight, but this is why I think I've gained weight. This is why I eat the way I do. This is, you know, and it's not all bad. I don't like demonizing food. You and I both put out recipes because we love food because food is love. You've seen your family, um, share your food with at this point, I wouldn't even know how many thousands of people over the years. Um, food is love. Like there, there's no joy greater than eating a meal with people, with your friends and family. And, and I think when we get into the demonization of food, it's a dangerous trap, but building a healthy relationship with food is very, very, very important. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, when you were talking, even at the start of the episode, I think you said you have Italian family or whatever. And like, I'm, you know, I have a Jewish family and it's the same thing. Like there's always, always, always like, you know, sort of like, Italian grandmas are like, uh, probably like Jewish grandmas were like, if you're too skinny, you know, they're like, oh, you need to eat. <laughs> if you're chubby, you need to eat. You know, it's like you walk in the door and, um, oh, you're hungry. Let, let me get, let me make you something right. That that's, that's love in our cultures and for most cultures around the world. Um, and so kind of having that as a society, we're never going to be able to stop that, nor should we. I want to continue sharing my love through food, as I'm sure you do too. You put out beautiful recipes for people. Um, but if we can help people make better decisions around it and kind of, you know, find that right balance, I think we're doing our job. Um, that being said, I'll, I'll pivot for a second because I want to touch back on something that you mentioned earlier. Um, you said it took you about five years of most likely a lot of work because <laughs> I've only been doing this about two, two and a half years in terms of like, um, online recipe sharing, um, five years before you kind of monetized to a point where you had to, or could give up your job. Right now you've done something interesting that I've seen you do on your Instagram that I've never seen anyone else do. And <laughs> Uh, it's, you probably know where I'm going with this. So it, it's, 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 um, it's maybe a little controversial or at least taboo in many ways, because it's not really culturally appropriate to share how much money we make in a lot of circles and a lot of cultures. Yeah. But I, I, I really like what you did because I think it brought light to a really important topic, which is how much work goes into what we do as content creators. And 
So I'm going to call you out for a second. Okay. So you there, I think you've done it twice or at least twice that I've seen where you basically showed, here's what I made the first year on YouTube, right? <laughs> Which yeah. was, if I recall, pennies, maybe it was like five bucks or something on year one. Uh, and then yeah. you were able to share that after five, six years, um, you've finally been able to crawl your way to a six figure uh, growth or, you know, a six figure income which I think is was a really fascinating and slightly controversial move to make. And I share on my account a lot of behind the scenes. I show how I've, you know, taken $20 wood from Home Depot and made, you know, a photo studio in my guest bedroom. I, I, I try to show people that it's not so pretty. And you do the same thing. So not only talking about money, but like I've seen how you take your beautiful photos in a windowsill. Yeah. No fancy setup, right? Um, you know, I've seen you with your with your tripod in your kitchen making your videos. No fancy set. And yet you have what six, seven, eight hundred thousand total followers on all your platforms using a windowsill for your photos. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And and I wanna commend you for your transparency and for the vulnerability of kind of sharing like yeah, I'm making money now, finally. <laughs> but it was years of grinding to get there. I think it was really cool. Um, so I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that, but it's it's a lot of work, right? You're, you you work for five years before you made a livable salary. Yeah, and um, really what a big catalyst for everything was with my recipes and everything was really keto, like low carbon keto, uh, as you know, we've been emailing, my email is low calorie cooking. My whole premise of the cooking uh, show started with just low calorie recipes. Hmm. Uh, and I did that for three, four years. And um, my cousin actually, who we're working on a, a food blog together now, he had been doing keto for, uh, two years and he had been really trying to get me to do keto recipes. And I kind of brushed it off because I was at a stage in my life where I was pretty narrow-minded and I was pretty set in my ways of like, nah, like I'm just doing my thing. Even though I had over the years, like been experimenting with diets, I kind of just got stuck in like um, one kind of a mindset. And so eventually I decided to pivot and to, I just started to make these low carb keto recipes. And over the time of doing that, obviously I started to experiment with the diet too. Um, and just give me one second. I'm, I'm actually not plugged in and I think my computer might die. <laughs> no problem. Take your time. Um, okay. We are good. Um, so, so, uh, when I made that pivot and I started to make those recipes, I started to get more um, curious, I guess, about how the diet was working um, and just experimenting again with how I would feel if I ate that way. And um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was actually a, a nice change from what I had been doing because um, what I've been doing at the time was really just Kind of an if it fits your macros approach which has now gotten 
very popular and along with keto. Um, and there's right. kind of like some overlapping with the two, which I really think is good. Um, and what I mean by that is just kind of like sort of merging the two, whether you're doing keto or if it fits your macros, it's everything's the same. Uh, just the calorie deficit, like we mentioned earlier, is like the big thing when you're trying to lose weight, how those calories, how you get to that right. number, it really doesn't matter. Um, it just matters what makes you feel the best getting to that total. Right. Um, so what I realized- And there's no one size fits all anyway. So it's all kind of nonsense, you know, everybody- Exactly. Would um, thrive a different, yeah, with a different structure. And so I, I kind of been like making my calories um, fit every day with like a pretty decent amount of like kind of junk food and kind of this switch to eating more um, low carbon keto just to experiment again was nice to realize that like, you know, I actually like eating whole foods. I like eating a pretty low carb, moderate fat. I don't like to do super high fat in terms of like right. you know, keto um, and moderate protein. That makes me feel the best. It makes me perform the best. And I had just had this um, ability I guess, you know, from over the years of making food and cooking and making things fit whatever I was doing that like I, I developed this really um, special talent to make desserts really uh, taste great and fit a low carb keto lifestyle. Yes. When I and you're self-described, you have a, a, a insatiable sweet tooth. <laughs> I, I, I yeah. love, I love sweets. Like it's a problem. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, to kind of get to what you were saying. So when I started doing these recipes, um, it was a huge dramatic shift from the response that I was getting from just doing the low calorie recipes. And I decided, okay, I'll just keep making these more and more and more. And, uh, it just was kind of a snowball effect. Of, sure. Um, making recipes, putting the time in, figuring out really, um, a big change that happened from like the first, I'm gonna say four years to the last two or three years, somewhere in that time frame, was for the first three and a half, four years, I just made things that I thought was something I wanted to do. I was yeah, creating- Yeah, that's me. <laughs> that's the way I am, yeah. And the problem, or I guess uh, what I realized was the most powerful thing that you can do is create for what people want, what right. do people want to eat? What do people, what are people searching for? And when I realized that I just pretty much changed my whole strategy to, I'm not going to cook for myself anymore. I'm going to cook for people and what people want. And it, it's weird because it's almost like it, it, there's so much of a similarity between like an artist, like a band, you know, like, do you play the music that you want to play or do you play the music that people want to listen to and you know that like you can have a lot of success if you play the music that people want to listen to so i like to find a little bit of a balance of like sure what do the people want to listen to but also what fulfills me when i'm creating these right. things Oh, I, I get that completely, this idea of selfish content and not saying that in a bad way. There's definitely two approaches to like, you know, to food development or, or social media in general. When I, you know, I love making high end food. I love I love it. I always have. 
And I started my account making like fancy keto food. And what I started realizing is that it wasn't that helpful to people, regardless of success or monetization for me, the food wasn't helpful to people. Like it showed them that keto could be sexy, but it wasn't practical food. Uh, and, and that's why I've been also pivoting the last year or two around like, you know, easy, delicious meals that people can make at home with like regular grocery store ingredients. That's like an important thing, kind of understanding, just like you said, that this isn't really about what I want to eat or what I love to cook. It's about making like that at the end of the day, what, what drives me is knowing that I'm helping somebody eat better. And so I get it completely, man. That's, that's an interesting pivot. And you, you basically walked yourself into my next question, which is basically what is your process? Like for people who may be interested in starting a food blog or a food um, YouTube channel or whatever, what does a process look like from zero to post? <laughs> uh, what does that look like? So you, you mentioned, so you're kind of looking out for what's a recipe people are looking for right now. Is that through like search engine trends? And, and then what does that process look like from that point? Even once you decide what you want to make, what's your process for developing a recipe? So I would say that um, the first thing that I would do if I was going to try to make something for YouTube, for instance, and I want to um, say this before I get into everything I'm going to say, and that is overall, the money that I think you can make on YouTube is far less. And you've seen probably my Insta story where I showed my blog revenue, um, which is five to six times higher per thousand views on my blog compared to my YouTube channel. So just so you need a fifth of the audience to make the same money on yes. a blog than YouTube. Interesting. So but it's my, funny because we see all these like YouTubers with their mansions and their like supercars, you know, I mean, obviously those are the YouTubers like a hundred million followers and stuff, but it, you always think of like YouTube as like the monetization king, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. But it's not. The, this thing is about people who are making a lot of money on YouTube is they're making a lot of money because of their YouTube following, not not from right not from, from YouTube. YouTube it's because right. of YouTube so it's the right. merch it's the um product it's the, the product placements sponsorships yeah I mean that's the same with Instagram or TikTok as well I have friends with millions of followers on TikTok and like I think from the organic monetization on TikTok like with like millions of followers they made like twelve hundred dollars in a year zero dollars yeah it's like it's bad um, the way that these big social media companies monetize for themselves off the ad revenue, but then give the artist like exactly. <laughs> fractions of fractions of pennies. I think it's like exactly. 0.0003 cents. <laughs> it means something wild, you know? That's right. I think what you said is exactly correct. Uh, that's what I heard, I think, anyways. 0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, the revenue share on YouTube is 55% goes to the creators, 45% goes to Google. If you work with an ad platform on your blog, you at Mediavine would start at 75% to you, 25% to them. And it can Got go it. as it's, I believe, 80% or 85% to you, hmm. 20, 15% to them. Um, 
So to give some solid numbers, my YouTube revenue per thousand views is $5. My website per thousand views is like $27.5 um, wow, yeah. views. Over 5X. So it makes sense. For me, it would make sense to like not even make another YouTube video because I mean, the return on investment is pretty low. It would make a lot more sense for me to spend all my time doing my blog. Um, yes, but you have, although it does, that's not where it would start. Oh, sorry. That's not where it would start for somebody starting from zero. But now that you've built a platform and had the patience of taking many years to build a platform, you have kind of free cross advertising. Now I pause there because I know as a content creator that your audience on one platform does not generally translate to another or a very small percent of your most loyal, um, you know, audience members do follow you to other platforms, but there's no doubt you're going to drive traffic to your blog from your YouTube videos, at least some. That's true. And I can see the numbers though. And the numbers show me that the, about a 10th of my blog traffic is from YouTube. Ah, so what's the rest SEO? Yeah. Uh, SEO huh. interest, uh, Instagram, um, and interesting. Facebook. Uh, so really honest to God, like it would make a lot of sense for me to like, just say, you know what? I don't know if YouTube's my thing anymore. So if uh, you were starting today, you wouldn't even bother with YouTube. <laughs> well, so that's just the, from like a money perspective though. Sure. I do YouTube today is because I love it. I love making videos. Making cool. videos gives me a lot of joy. It's what I, I, Remember, I started on YouTube. I didn't start with a blog. So I didn't take my blog seriously until about two years ago. And then when I started to see like the money you can make on a blog compared to YouTube, I was like, I need to start taking this real seriously because <laughs> real hard on YouTube and the numbers are starting to get closer to each other. And like I said, I was like not taking the blog seriously at all. And the blog money is getting closer to the YouTube money. I'm like, I don't, this is, I need to take that seriously. Well, focus it on yeah, that. of um, course. Well, and also, I mean, I don't know about how much effort you put into your blog versus YouTube, but generally speaking as a generalization from what I found is that nothing takes more time to create than video content. By the time you time. film it, edit it, it takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it takes a really long time. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, the, the difference is I, so with YouTube, I love it because I love filming. I love talking. The, I don't like the blog as much because I don't like writing. Writing is like one of my least favorite things. I did terribly in all writing classes <laughs> in school. So that's why I didn't- We should it. trade. You, you come make my videos. I'll write all your blog posts because I love writing. <laughs> You'd be a great team, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, it's funny, people people assume because I've been on like a reality show or whatever that I like being on camera, and I do not. It is by far the most uncomfortable part of what I do. That's why I don't really use my YouTube at all. I just it's not for me. I think you're. <laughs> you're I think that you're getting good though. I know that um, you know you've had experience, like you said on TV, and that's I've been on shows too with the restaurant, and I know it's different than it's different your own thing, but. I see you doing your Instagram reels and I think, I think you just need to do more. You just need to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just getting started for sure. You're, you're, you're great. You are <laughs> thanks. like, you are really great. And 
I say that because like I know from my YouTube channel, it took me a long time. Oh yeah. Even like comfortable. Like I can tell you're comfortable yeah. and you're having fun and. Well, and I'm sure, you know, I haven't looked back and watched them, so I'm not insulting you, but I'm sure your first YouTube video sucked. <laughs> Like, right? Like, I mean, I'm just making a guess here, but that I'm not say, saying that about you as much as everybody, right? Like, yeah, it's it's got, part of the process. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I'm sure your first ones didn't suck compared to, I'm sure there's people who've done worse, but part of getting into this space, I think is, and this is definitely a tip for anyone kind of getting started or thinking about getting started is like, you just have to execute, you just have to do it. The first videos are going to suck. You know, the first recipes are going to suck. You just have to kind of do it. Um, yeah. It's never going to be fully comfortable until you've like done a bunch of them. You but know, that's the greatest thing, though, is I think people are like afraid to create something that's awful, but nobody's watching. You don't have. Right. Like now. <laughs> right. Suck. Like now is the time because you're that was the time to suck. You're and good. also in today, this is, we're, we're going on a tangent, but in today's culture, TikTok is one thing that's really been cool about TikTok is that it broke this pattern of like everybody trying to be polished. Yeah. Um, I think YouTube and Instagram was always about like production value and beautiful photography and all this stuff. And then TikTok comes along and it's like people yep. dancing in their underwear, like whatever, you know, like nobody cares. Most stuff on TikTok is filmed on your phone. Yeah. Um, it and broke that cycle a little God. bit. Hundred percent. And to what you were saying before about like, you know, you see, I just like I'm in my kitchen. You see, I'm by my windowsill. The the thing that matters is just delivering good content. And yeah. if you can help somebody if it's helpful. If it and especially with exactly. recipes, like if they taste it and they're like, oh my god, this was great. This was easy. Um, this looked and tasted almost identical to what was shown. People are happy. And that's right. We'll share that. Um, and it doesn't have to be like a photo shoot from a magazine. Um, right. Of course, I would love to. And I've seen your setup and your photos are. I, I'm not even saying this because we're on the podcast together. I mean, your photos are better than mine professionally. They, they just are. a bit. <laughs> I don't know about they, that, they, but I appreciate they, it. <laughs> I, I, they, they're just they're just more professionally done. And, and for me to do a more professional shoot, it would take more time. And I'm already right. so pulled in so many different directions that like, when I yeah. do something like I need to just put it by that windowsill and make it look as best as I can. And yeah. I, I just like my style, like just what I like to do is very minimalist photography. Like I just want right. to show close photos because I know they look good in the grid of Instagram and I'm not going to get too crazy with styling the photo. A hundred percent. No, I, my, like one of the last posts I did the chocolate mousse, um, I just did it on my kitchen table with the light coming in and I was kind of channeling my Joe Duff because I was just like, you know what, afternoon lights coming in, I'm just going to throw it on the table and see what happens. It was my first post in a while that wasn't done with um, my lighting setup, my artificial lighting. And honestly, I might've liked it more because it was just, it was more natural. I don't know, you know, I, I think it's an important, it was a good reminder for me and something that I definitely wanna kind of say right now is that you don't need crazy equipment or a dedicated photo studio or a dedicated, you know, you can make this work. A lot of people do, and you've been incredibly successful shooting um, 
uh, really professional level photos on a windowsill. Um, I know a lot of people who've done really well in vlogging and recipe development who still use their iPhones to shoot their photos. My camera, it's dedicated for what I do, but it was like 400 bucks. It's not like some $2,000 camera with a $1,000 lens. And, you know, like I bought my lighting was $100 on Amazon. I could add up for you the amount of money I've spent on photography. And it is still a fraction of what most of the pros spend. Um, and though, and good, good enough, <laughs> yeah, exactly. good, good enough. There's a point, right? There's a, yeah. there's a point where you have to weigh that out. And it also depends on people, um, you know, your own financial, you know, state status in life. But, um, I, I think that there's an approachability to what you do and a bunch of other people that I really like on online who show us that you don't, you can make a living or even if money isn't the point, even if you just want to share for, as a passion project, you don't need million dollars worth of equipment or a, a paid camera crew. That stuff helps, I'm sure, but you don't need it, you know? Yeah. Um, and kind right. of finding like what you said a second ago, I think is really important uh, about like, you have too much to do to like deal with a whole other uh, process just for the photography. Right. And I've, when I decided to start doing reels and TikTok only a month or two ago, um, for the fun of it, cause I'm like, it just, it's fun. I want to like, just be myself a little bit more and, and, and not always be so polished. Um, I do all my TikToks with my camera or with my iPhone on like a little $15 mount that I got off Amazon that like clicks onto my kitchen countertop and like no lighting. <laughs> it's just like, it's like a $15 setup with my iPhone. And I'll tell you, like, it has done amazing things for my social media just in that month, like growing 25 or something percent in like a month from of my following just from doing TikToks and Reels that have gotten, you know, a few hundred thousand, uh, you know, um, impressions across each platform um, just in like four or five recipes. It's, it's been, it's been really powerful for me to show myself more, which is a whole other discussion we can get into. Um, because it's, it's very exposed for people like us who do videos, you feel very exposed. And I think that to what we were saying earlier about, you know, if you're starting out, if you are not making videos because you think you need a fancy camera, I would say give that up immediately. Take out your iPhone and just start making videos. You can always archive them later if they're really that bad, right? Like just get in front of the camera because the more you do it, the more comfortable you're going to get. It's not it's not easy talking. Like I'm just sitting, I'm not even looking at you right now. I'm staring at a at a black camera lens um and talking to myself basically. That is not something that came naturally for me. I just had to do it more and more. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you 100%. A lot of the phones take 4K video. I actually film right. a lot of B-roll on my iPhone for my YouTube channel. I have yeah. a YouTube channel that has 420,000 subscribers. Like, And I'm filming stuff for the channel on my phone because it takes amazing quality. Like people who are watching the video have no idea that it's on a phone. Right. The phone well, and, and on top of that, the the biggest concern for people is just, are they learning? Are they getting content that's valuable to their life? They yeah. like at the end of the day, unless it's like just really bad footage, um, it doesn't really matter how you take it. And actually I found with video that, that sound is more important. Like 100%. I can watch a, a low res video, 
but if the sound is bad, I can't yep. listen to it. Like, and that's a much cheaper investment is like a little mic for like for doing your videos and stuff. Like you can find a decent mic for a hundred bucks. That's better spent than buying a camera. I promise. A hundred percent. It's totally true. People will watch 720p all day with crisp right. audio. If it's right. it's 4K and the audio is terrible, I'm out. Like I don't want to It watch doesn't it. matter. Yeah, I'm out. Well, and also now like anybody under 30 is pretty much watching YouTube from this anyway. So exactly. like 720 looks just fine. <laughs> like five yeah. inches of screen. It doesn't even really matter. What you're saying though about people um, growing their, what, what they would do to like, figure out what to make because i want to give like oh yeah we, we you know we went all over the place good value uh because i i know that like we we like briefly touched on it and then we never circled back to it and i know <laughs> like but what do i do so right because right. i would if i was doing like keto stuff which i've done this this is the process that i've done i would go into youtube and I would type in the search bar keto and then the letter A. And after you search keto A, probably the first term you're going to see is Alfredo sauce. What did I just come out with? I just came out with Alfredo, Alfredo sauce. sauce. <laughs> the reason being is because the thing that you find it fill in the blank for um, is the thing that's probably searched the most with that those terms. Um, and so and you're not afraid because there's already 15 Alfredo recipes that doesn't stop you, right? Well, so here's layer two of all of this. So after you go through and you make your notes of keto A, keto B, keto C, you go through the whole alphabet. You're going to see everything that's the top. Then I would go back and I do a full search of actually typing in keto Alfredo sauce. And then I'd use a Google extension. I'd use either TubeBuddy or I'd use VidIQ. I have both of them. I got them on Black Friday deals. They're like $6 a month, but you don't have to use the paid versions. The um, unpaid versions of these extensions are really great um, and will give you a good sense of what you should make anyways. And to be honest with you, when I was really like hitting home run after home run of recipes, recipes that on YouTube got now a million views or hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. I didn't have the paid version of these extensions, but they pretty much gave me a really good blueprint on what I should make. Um, so when you use these extensions, what ends up happening, just like a lot of SEO um, uh, tech, I'm just going to say, um, you'll see a, a score from zero to 100. And basically the score is showing you um, the competition and search volume in terms of like, is there high competition and low search volume and, or is there right. they have that with low competition? They have that with hashtag uh, plugins as well, like hashtag software you can buy membership to. And same yeah. thing. It's like two bars. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I didn't know they did it for 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 searches. I've only seen it. I tried it once, uh, like a, a one week trial, and it does the same thing. It shows you which hashtags you can just put in, like keto, and it'll show you anything hashtag keto recipes, hashtag keto, you know, lifestyle, whatever. And it'll show you like the exact same two metrics. Wow. Um, and so you can find the highest volume hashtag with the lowest 
you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, probably like the most likes to the like the to lowest, the lowest competition. Likes is probably the right with the lowest competition. Exactly. So what you realize is like whatever search engine uh, info you're trying to get, usually those are the two metrics that everybody lives and dies by. So when you use these extensions, you'll see at least on one of them a score from zero to a hundred. A hundred being like super low competition, super high volume. You can also just see like on its own, like the search volume. And I don't know if you can see the competition, but you can see just search volume numbers on this thing. And if the meter is a hundred, you're like, I should make that recipe because there's a lot of search. Nobody's made anything for it. If the meter is zero. You're like, I don't want to waste my time on making that because there's probably a low return to it. So after you go right. through A to Z, you then like have these scores that you can say, oh, this is 75, this is 80, this is 20. So that 21, maybe I'll do, but I'm gonna do it a year from now. I'm gonna get the low hanging fruit first and that's what I'm gonna make. Our right, especially if there's a seasonality to it or a holiday relevance or whatever. And, and that can play into it too. What I will say is I've found that the best performing things you're gonna make are probably not seasonal. Um, right. It, what, unless you have like a pretty decent following that can like share that recipe with a lot of people. Because to what we're talking about right now is very powerful in terms of getting your videos to rank in search on YouTube. But otherwise, it might not have like the pizzazz to, to, to get other views where like, if you make something, right. Get those other views from shares and from people being like, I made this pumpkin spice latte. It was amazing. You get a lot of, views. right. But that, well, and, and, and was I was, I was stuck in my Instagram framework, but YouTube, like you can make a video now that may not pop off for six months. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas Instagram is very, just your current post. And so there's a seasonality or a relevance, I think, to making recipes that are hot today on on Instagram. But I can see how there wouldn't be as much value to doing that on YouTube. Because like even yeah. with my YouTubes, like videos from a year ago are still randomly getting little spikes and like five comments will pop in one day. And I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> I think some of it's just YouTube starts pushing that video. Um and I think what I've noticed is YouTube starting to push videos that make more sense in the seasons. So these seasonality recipes, they're great in terms of if you make a pumpkin spice latte, right? I did a lot of views this fall with the pumpkin spice latte. I'm pretty much like, I'm not getting any views right now on it because nobody's searching for it. But come fall time, just outside of search, I think YouTube is just recommending things to people with seasonality in mind. They're like, oh, pumpkin spice recipes are popular. Let's start making sure. people are watching those. Plus the, plus the algorithm's kind of sensing little momentum bumps and then we'll push that, you know, it's exactly. gonna respond to something. So obviously if no one's searching for it, there's no reason for them to think that they should be continuing that momentum. Exactly. Um, this is interesting. This is, this is some real gems because, um, I think this could be really helpful information. I appreciate you sharing it because there's, um, I think there's a lot of culture with people feeling like everything's a competition on social media. Um, you see it a lot, in, you know, in Instagram and other things where 
people are very competitive or like this person has 200,000 and I only have a hundred thousand. I'm going to beat like, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. There's room for everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you sharing those tips because, um, I think there's room for everybody and there's somebody right. for everybody. Like the people that follow me may be totally different than the people that follow you on yeah. one platform because they connect with us for very different reasons. You and yeah. I are not competition, even though we both put out keto recipes. There's yeah. no competition. They can follow both of us. Yeah. <laughs> and some of one of what you were saying, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this, is just comparison is the root of all misery. It's hmm. uh, a quote that I heard one time and I was like, that's so true. And I think we live in this society where people are really always comparing themselves to everybody. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And social media makes it easy to compare. Yeah, exactly. Cause we've got numbers, right. That show we've us got data value right. might be, but right. 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 Why did their post get 2000 likes and mine got a thousand? I suck. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's wild. So, social media is, is a very, um, very interesting space and not to go way off base here, but to our point earlier around like mental health and the mental work, like if, if you feel like social media is negatively affecting your life, take a step back. It's not necessary. <laughs> um, how do you feel, you know, obviously with Instagram, there is this sort of keto police culture, like, you know, where sometimes people will come in and have something to say about a post. Do you feel, do you get that at all? Uh, do you feel YouTube or Instagram or anything is, is kinder than the other in regards to the comment, you know, the keyboard warriors, what's your feelings about the platforms in that sense? I think they're both pretty much the same, uh, in terms of, I think there are the keto police on both. Um, and I just posted an Aldi haul video with snacks and the haul has probably, it has 15, but it says 15 on the title. There's might be more, there might be like 17 or 19 actually, but I'd say like 80 plus percent of the snacks in the snack hall are very much clean keto, maybe 90% even. Uh, and it could even be 95. There might just be like one sure. or two snacks that like doesn't conform to somebody's um, definition of healthy. And they're going to go in the comments and they're going to just like lose their mind. And <laughs> right. I, I, see, I see these people like everybody has like some kind of a comment to make about it. I'm just like, but the other 16, 17 snacks are like totally great. And you can, you can eat those. You, ju you just don't have to eat the one that I suggested. And right. the one that I suggested isn't for you. Like I've done um, McDonald's, um, keto at McDonald's, keto at Starbucks, keto at Taco Bell. Right. And obviously that just invites these people um, to come and like spew their opinion. And sure. When, when I see this, I'm, I'm like already trying to think because I want to do like um, Wendy's next and Burger King and I plan on doing more of them. And my response like in my head is like, why did you click on the video if like <laughs> fast food like this video is not for you? It's like when I started and this is kind of coming full circle when I started doing low carb and keto when I was 14, I ate hot dogs out of a cup at a golf course like. Right. This is for somebody who 
maybe maybe they've done keto for a while or low carb for a while and maybe they just like eating fast food or they need options when they're traveling or maybe they're just starting out and that's been part of their routine in the beginning and now they're trying to make a change and like right it's just the process of trying to make a change for the better and like these people when i see like the keto police and everything I don't, I don't, first of all, I don't ever take it personally, but I always think to myself, like, like these are just your beliefs that you're putting on somebody else. Like not everybody is living in that box. If you exactly. live in a box, that's fine. Like feel free to only eat the cleanest of clean foods. I'm very happy for you, but right. the reality is not everybody's like that. And I have no interest in trying to like promote an agenda of one kind of thing. Right. Like I said. Right. And, and they don't have to follow your watch your videos if it's not your style, like you said. Exactly. So when it comes to like comments in general, um, you know, because I think also to what we've talked about in this discussion is just like some people not doing things because the quality's bad or they're afraid of um, whatever the reason may be. Uh, maybe it's afraid of getting negative comments. The thing is, is I I get a lot of great comments, more so than the bad comments by far, right? But anytime I get like a really nice comment, I'm like, that was really nice, but I'm I don't I don't I don't tie my worth to the positive comment, and I don't tie my worth to the negative comment. They're yes. just, they're just comments. So like, whether I get a lot of great comments, it doesn't hype me up and make me too high and the bad comments don't take me too low. I'm just like, I'm glad I helped that person. This person seems miserable. That's they kind of have equal weight in that sense. Yeah. You can't, when you're in this space, you can't give your energy or time or thought. It's a waste of all of it to, to either, to either of them. Because like we said, like, even if you do that with the good, um, you will end up doing it with the bad too. So yeah, man, I like, I, I'm smiling both inside and out because it, it is so true. And I think that applies to uh, other metrics as well. I used to get so worked up about how many likes I got good and bad, right? Like a good post. I was so happy, bad post. I was so frustrated. What did I do wrong? What's wrong with the algorithm today? And all of a sudden there was like a, a day where it clicked and I was like, who? gives a shit. <laughs> Let me look at the whole of, of what I do and what I share with people and forget about any of it. It's the same thing with the comments, good and bad, putting too much weight on viewer numbers, likes or dislikes is really a, a trap that's been designed. Like, that's by design. That's not an accident. They want us addicted. They want us to come back if our post does well and post again. They want us to come back if our post does shit so that we do it again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's definitely by design. And I'm really glad you brought that point, um, that point to life. I know a lot of people, a lot of chefs, a lot of great talented people who don't post or are afraid to post. Cause they're like, well, what if I only get 50 likes and my friends see that I only get 50 likes where it's like, it is vulnerable to be public. Um, when I started my Instagram account, a lot of people don't know this, but it was called keto homemade. It had nothing about me at all. There was never a single picture of me. I think for almost 
a full year, my first year on Instagram, people didn't even know who I was. It wasn't until the show uh, that I changed my name to Chef Michael uh, by basically being pushed by the PR department at MasterChef, who was like, dude, you got to start like using your social media. And I had built up like, I don't know, eight or 10,000 followers anonymously as Keto Homemade just because I was making uh, good food for people. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't about me at all. And to be honest, I still try not to make it about me because of exactly what you're saying. I think it's a trap. I think focusing on making good content is really, really valuable as a number one. That being said, I have definitely found that creators who put their face out there, put themselves out there literally and figuratively behind the lens will tend to do better because people want to connect. Like mm -hmm. you're somebody that people want to connect with. Like we were saying earlier, um, the people who may like you, they're probably following you, yes, for your food, but most likely they're following you for you Yeah, to some I, extent. I think that when you get to a certain level, it starts to change a little bit. I've mm. noticed myself, if like, I think it takes some time, um, but eventually people form a relationship with you. They don't just form a relationship with the recipes that you're making. Initially, it's right. what does this do for me? Like, sure. Much, what do I get from this in terms of like the audience? They're thinking, how is this going to help me? What is this going to do for me? Right. And it's not so much about that relationship, but that relationship grows as they make your recipe. They like it. They come back for another one. They make another one. They like it. Oh, well, now I'm starting to get more invested in Chef Michael or right. me. And I want to know more about this person. Like, who are they? Like, what do they do? What do they believe in? What What do they enjoy doing? What is their life like? We're all fascinated, I think, eventually by the people we follow. Like, more so. Sure. Uh, an well, but you, you want the people that we follow as consumers or, you know, the other, the other direction as well. It's like, I almost feel like I know them to a certain extent, right? Like, I feel like I don't, you know, I've never met you in real life, but I've followed you for a long time. I feel like I kind of know you, like, <laughs> I know yeah. your little workout area that you built in your garage. Or it's funny, like the, the stories on Instagram of mine that get the most responses have nothing to do with food. It's like <laughs> the drama of my, Nespresso machine breaking the, you know, it's like people are so invested in our lives and it's amazing. Yeah. And I think what I want to bring up about you is that you talked about from a search engine optimization, from a, from a kind of inception of what recipe you're going to make kind of some steps for how to do that, how to figure out what people are looking for, what's trending. But there's a sort of je ne sais quoi to like, what makes you successful in my opinion? And that is that while you're seeking out in a very kind of methodical way, what recipe you want to make, you're also really good at just being you and feeling authentic. There are a lot of uh, influencers, because I, I hate that word. Um, there's a lot of influencers who um, I think it's so caught up in trying to be something instead of just being themselves and i think you're really at least to me you really feel like yourself and i really like that about you um i think you were doing a series 
maybe a year ago that I still remember of you like showing your daily runs and things that I'm not getting anything particularly out of it, but I was invested in like watching you succeed. Um, you know, and, and things like that, like just feeling like we're getting to know somebody and you bringing us into your world, you showing us your, and that's why I was saying earlier, it's a little taboo to talk about money or to talk about, or to see the behind the scenes for some content creators who just want yeah. you to see the polish. Yeah. But I really like that you're able to be so authentic to show your dad being goofy, to show, you know, all these different parts of your life. I think it's really cool. And I think it is a very important piece for anybody trying to make social media or make content creation a part of their life to understand that putting yourself out there and being yourself is, I think, just as important as the recipes in, in many ways. And I, I don't know if you agree with that, which is funny because we're both foodies. But I'm also saying there's there's a lot more than food behind uh, what has allowed us to keep sharing our food is, is us also sharing ourself, which can be tiring some days. I'm sure not every day you're in the mood for it, but you do it, right? I agree with you. Um, and to what you said before, I, I think also if you don't feel like you are ready to include yourself, kind of like you said, that you took a whole year or more before you started. And even now, like I, it's been an evolution. You're starting to become even more of a face sure. of food, right? It will always be. Cause I'm actually a crazy introvert. I am not into this like video stuff. And here I am like on YouTube right now talking to you, but yeah. I myself, um, I myself uh, didn't tell any of my friends or family that I was doing this Same. YouTube channel for a long time when I was making um, all these Instagram posts for probably almost a year, it was at least six months. Same. I like share it with Facebook. Like, did I make a YouTube Facebook share where I was like, look at what I'm doing. I, I always felt like my, I hadn't gotten to a point where I was like proud of my work. And that's okay if you don't feel like that. The the thing that is important is that you just keep creating to become proud keep of going. your own. Like, yeah. share that like super quick because I, I know that like I'm at a point where I'm proud of it. And I know that like it's real. I know that it's good. Um, but being proud of your work is not easy. Um, no. I'm, and, I'm still my biggest critic, right? I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I'm sure you always feel like your video could be, you know, I used to take like 20 takes to, and like now with those TikToks that I'm doing, like, I'm just like, whatever I get, I get like, I don't, but that takes a certain amount of confidence to, it, to get to that point. Sure. And if, if you, it takes you a year before you're willing to put like a, your face behind it, that's fine. Like, don't, don't feel like you're not a success because you're not putting your self into everything right away. Everybody's different. Like some people will put themselves in it from the get-go. And that's amazing. I think I'm kind of a mix between the introvert and extrovert. Sometimes I'm super outgoing and I'm ready to be in front of the camera. And then sometimes I'm like, I don't want to make anything with me really involved in it. I'm just like not right. feeling that day. And, you know, it's, it's just something that, takes time to like understand even that about yourself. So yeah. 
if yeah. you're it's, it's very vulnerable and you're not putting your face to it right away, I think that it's just over time, you may become more um, comfortable with that. And a lot of it is just doing it, like you're saying, like getting in front of the camera, being a little silly, whatever happens. The repetitions. <laughs> well, it's like anything too. Like the first time you show up to the gym is going to be really different than if you've been lifting weights for a year or two, right? Like it's 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 practice. It's um, it's a work in progress. Like you said, like I'm still doing it. Um, you're probably still doing it. What your videos look like now may, may really change, but I appreciate that you're willing to kind of share that vulnerability and share all these tips with people. Um, cause I, I think it's important for people to see, they see someone like you, who's done well, who's built up, you know, um, six, seven figure followings and what they don't see is the journey. And that's why I wanted you to come on this podcast. That's why I, I love that you share is that this didn't happen overnight. This was a five, six, seven, 14, 20 year journey for you in many ways that has gotten you to today. Um, and, and to me that inspires me and I'm sure many others, cause it's, it's not easy, uh, to do what we do, to be self-employed, to be kind of, um, riding or dying by the success of our content. Um, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of social pressure to like be invested in the communities that we've built and to share ourselves with people every day. Um, having to learn so many different trades. Uh, it's not enough that you or I are good cooks. We also have to be videographers, photographers, editors, writers, social media managers. The list goes on and on, right? That's not easy to do. No. And it's just, I think there's a cartoonist, it's Scott Adams, right? He's the Dilbert guy. Do, do you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to what you're saying, it's like, you don't have to be the best photographer. You don't have to be the best videographer, the best recipe creator, the best business person. I, I know for myself that I'm not the best at any of those things, but I have just uh, a combination of being pretty good at several of those things. And I've done them right. for time that success has followed that so you don't have to necessarily be the best in in one thing if you have like um a combination of things that you're fairly good at it can be a really powerful thing yeah 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 i agree and there's also times where it's okay to ask for help i had somebody reach out to me and say like I, I've, I've really like, I really want to make this ebook. I have 75 recipes done. I want to give it away for free. This isn't a money thing. I just really want to share and make an ebook, but I have no idea how to use Photoshop or whatever. I don't know what to do. And I'm like, go to Fiverr and hire somebody, um, for $75 or whatever to like, come up with a, a graphic design template for your book. Like there it's okay sometimes to say, this is not my expertise. There are times when it's okay to ask for help. There are also other times where you can go to YouTube university, right? Um, I learned photography between my dad and, um, and watching YouTube videos, like from people like the bite shot, um, or yeah. food photography school, I think is another one. The bite shot does a, a whole YouTube series on like how to do food photography with a $200 camera. Um, there are so many free resources out there for people who want to dive into this industry. If you feel like you can learn something and dive into it yourself, great. 
it's also okay um, to kind of put a little bit of money into a passion of yours and hire for small parts of your job. And you just got to get to the finish line, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. You got to do what you have to do uh, to get to the finish line because it is not easy, but that also shouldn't stop you. And, and like, I know that there's people who see your ability to be on multiple platforms and to create videos and written content and photos. And it feels really, really overwhelming. And it, it, it is if you think about it as one giant ball of content, right? <laughs> but it's not. It's a lot of little pieces that you put together, right? And I'm sure one recipe for you, um, that's why I was asking from the, we've sort of gone off the rails, but I was sort of asking you from zero to posting it online, that process is going to have a bunch of steps along the way. And I'm sure it doesn't happen in one hour, you know? Yeah. Uh it, it, it probably takes you multiple days sometimes. For sure, a hundred percent. I, I think you might have seen my thin mint cookies that uh, are I'm working on. I actually have not even finished that recipe. It's funny because like you think sometimes I, people they watch the video and like, oh, that all happened the same day, but it's just editing made you think that that did happen right. the same day. So I'm still working on that, and I should be done with that video by now, actually. But the first time I made the cookies. It was just a disaster. It didn't work. It was a crumbly mess and it didn't turn out how I wanted to. And now these cookies are perfect, um, but it's taken days. Um, yeah. 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 It will take multiple, multiple days before all the parts are together. The like the yeah. filming, I mean, just the planning, the filming, the photography, the article being written, the po the photos being edited, the voiceover that will be done over the, the uh, video itself. I mean, it takes a long, long time. And I don't say that to discourage anybody. I think what I, and what I did do when I started, and, and you probably the same, um, is just need to focus on like what you enjoy the most. Yes. Just do that initially. Like I yes. started with YouTube. This is, and if you know anything about the food space online, we're, I started on YouTube in 2014 and I thought my YouTube food channel was going to make me like an income that I could leave my job fairly quickly. In 2014, when video like wasn't, blogs didn't even have cooking video tutorials on them. These food blog pictures. It's completely backwards to how pretty much everybody else in the food space has started their career, like their blog, like they start a blog and then they move to video. Right. I was the opposite because I love video. So like if you love photography and writing, then do the blog thing. Don't worry about doing the video right away. There's plenty of money that you can make eventually. It's not going to be right away. It's a patient game. but. Um, start there and then maybe do video. You might not even have to do it, but if you love video, yeah. start with video and then think about moving into the blog space to what you said. If you don't like writing or maybe you aren't great at photography, you can hire that out at a certain point if you're making enough money from your video. For or me, find a friend who wants to join you. Like you'd mentioned a cousin, I think, could blog with you or whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, or find find some help uh, to help you with the project. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And it's funny because, you know, you, at one point in this video, you said Inst uh, YouTube is my worst, you know, income generator in regards to, you know, the per view. Um, yeah. But yet, if that's the one you're most passionate about, you know, I, I, I thought you were going to say like, well, if I was just starting out, I wouldn't do YouTube. And you said the opposite. You were like, well, no, I would still do YouTube <laughs> because it's your passion. And, and I, I'm so glad you brought this up because um, that is just like the key to all of this. And when we talk about content creation for people to consume, what I've really noticed is that our audience is smart. They can see if we're not being authentic. They can see if we're not enjoying our food or our content. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Like subconsciously in many ways, I think people can tell if we're excited. Like the, the recipes of mine that have done the best, I was just the most excited about, you know? And it's like somehow people can feel our joy in our food. And if you become too robotic about creating content or focusing on a platform just because it has the biggest monetization potential, I think you run into the burnout. You run into a state where you, you know, you you quit basically because you're not doing what you love just for the sake of money. You know, we all know from like careers that like if money is your single driving factor, it's not likely to go well. Um, and I would definitely say that's true in the food space. Finding a platform that you just love and building a community around that um, should definitely be a number one priority like uh, I, I couldn't right. agree with you more on that i think that um you have to have the anticipation that you're gonna maybe never make any money from it but especially like <laughs> if you're a creative i would say like have the anticipation of like your first year to two years where probably you two won't make really any money and to, to what you're even saying eventually i i i I, I realized that like this whole um, process of like starting in 2014, it's a lot like going to college. Like when you hmm. decide to be your own business person, like, you, you know, you're going to start this thing. It's going to take you like four years to plan on it taking you like four years before you, you feel like you figured out a majority of the, maybe 80% of the stuff that you need to know. Cause it took me, five years before I, I felt that way. And I feel like yeah. it was like a college education of like learning a lot of different things and, and really sharpening all of those different skills. And that's like the anticipation, but a lot of people, they have this like mindset that like, it's going to be much faster than four or five years. And I think right. that having that in your head that like you're going to school, you're going to learn for four or five years. And then in four or five years, you you'll get an entry level job. <laughs> good, a pretty good idea of like how to make a living from what you're doing and right. maybe happen faster. And if it doesn't at that point, I think that you really need to think about making a pivot to like, where, where could I go with what I'm doing that like, there is the potential to make the money right. that I need right. to make to like support my family or whatever it is. Right. No, it's, it's so true. I think about it in a different framework. I, uh, but the same idea, right? Like I see everything we're, we've done as like a startup, 
as like an, an entrepreneurial startup where nobody starts a business with the intention of making money on year one, sometimes year two. Tech companies may not be profitable for several years. Um, you're just so busy and, and much like entrepreneurship, like you're forced to wear many different hats because you can't hire out right away. You know, um, if you monetize five years in, like you could probably get to a point where you hire a camera crew and, you know, go to the next level up and level up and level up just like you would with a business. Like you start with one food truck and then you open one restaurant and then it's a chain of three. And then like, there's a way to level up and scale, but it does not happen as quickly as anybody wants. Um, and so I, I love your analogy of college. I think about it just like, like a tech, like I started a real estate business when I left restaurants at 25 and I didn't start making the money I wanted until I was almost 30. Like it took three years or so, um, to really start being profitable. And then I was scaling up. Then I was hiring employees. But the first couple of years, like I'm sitting there tearing down walls and like, you know, it's, it's a grind. Um, right. I'm sorry. You loved it, right? Oh, I loved every minute of it. In fact, like I was happier <laughs> at the beginning not making money than I was at year five making six figures. I was, it's sort of like for me, the hustle and the challenge of it is like, like that's for me what I thrive in. Like I thrive in that fight. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I think understanding that going into it, and again, this isn't to discourage anybody. In fact, we're making this episode to help people do it, you know, cause it's the greatest feeling in the world to like claw your way at something and then actually see your baby come to life. Uh -huh. Um, but I, I went a long time with no idea what I was doing with my food. MasterChef picked up on my Instagram account, which got me in front of Gordon Ramsay's chef, which then after being on TV, I had no idea what my next step was. I literally threw away the, the real estate business that I'd built all, all those years from the ground up and wow. threw it away to be a food blogger with no idea how I was going to make money. But I knew it was my passion. I just knew that this was like in my heart that this is what I wanted to do. And I just said, I'll figure out the rest. You know, I sold my house and picked up and moved to Texas into a rental with no job and no plan. And a month after I got here, I got an email from a publisher with a, with a cookbook deal out of the blue. Now, is am I saying that's going to happen to everybody? Of course not. But I took a leap of faith. I gave it a shot. I put myself out there. I showed up in New York City on my dime to cook for um, a MasterChef producer. Like I, I took a, a lot of vulnerable steps. And kind of you were, I was laughing when you were saying how you didn't tell your friends or family about your social media for a while. I did the same thing with Instagram. I did the same thing with MasterChef. I went through like six months of auditions before I even told my family any of it because I was like, well, I don't want anybody to know if I fail. And so it wasn't until I was almost in the last round and getting in, getting flown out to LA that I told my parents. Cause I was like, man, like, I don't want to publicly fail. I don't want, it, it feels very scary. All of it. Yeah. Um, it just does, but you have to just do it. And that doesn't, you know, even if you're listening, you don't want to be a food blogger. I think a lot of what we're talking about applies to a lot of, a lot of things, right? Like, I think if you have a passion, you should follow it. And, and see where it goes. And like you said, you can pivot. You can take the skills that you learned. There's no wasted experience. Um, I went to school. I went to college for architecture 
did not become an architect, but I learned so many graphic design skills Mm -hmm. as part of like learning the digital technology in Photoshop that like I apply some of those things to what I do today. So was it wasted? No, I still use some of these skills from college in the food world. Like that has no connection. Um, And so there's no wasted knowledge at all. There's no wasted experience. I would highly encourage people to give it a shot um, and and to pay attention. There's definitely strategic ways, as you've mentioned, some really great um, kind of tips and tricks about how you can help get your content exposure and how you can create content that people may want to see more of that may help optimize your search engine um, display results, you know, that, that may help get you in the door. But at the end of the day, you got to do the work and put yourself out there and just keep going. Cause like, I think you said it best. It may not be for a year or two before you start making money. In fact, you should be okay with just never making money and then hoping to get lucky enough that you just do, (laughs) which I think is a really cool mindset around it. So I I appreciate that a lot. I think if you have that mentality and we we've said this um, a little bit earlier is like, if you never got paid for it, you'd, you'd still be totally okay. Like that is the only way you can get to a point of making money from it because you got to just eat crap. Like, like it took me (laughs) four years. I was actually looking yesterday, just like seeing that got daily ad revenue for my YouTube channel. And I, I literally thought to myself, how did I go four years making like less than a dollar a day, making a video every single week? I made a video every (laughs) week for like three years. And I'm looking at the AdSense of the first three years of my YouTube channel. I'm just like, wow, like uh, that is crazy to me today. It's also really impressive that you had that kind of conviction. But, 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 but when you're in it, I just remember being in it. I just loved it so much. Yeah. You didn't care. I, I didn't like, I, you know, I had yeah. a job and I could pay my bills yeah. and it was, it, it was, it's a dream. Like, like uh, that's the biggest thing, you know, I think just for people is like, don't do it for the money. Like whatever you, whatever you're going to be passionate about, like you're the real test of how passionate you are about it is doing it for several years and not seeing like the like the the money side of things for several yeah i agree and and to add on to that i also think people have to be careful if you find yourself doing social media or doing content creation for the attention Mm -hmm. i think that's also very perceivable to an audience um and that that's all a part of it right like i think you should get into whatever it is you want to do and share what you want to share because you're passionate about it. And as you said earlier, because you're providing value to your audience. If you feel that you are getting a high from likes and comments, pay attention to that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing anybody, but being aware of how that is affecting your emotional state and and kind of getting that in check a little bit. Like we were talking about with food, like healthy relationship with food, healthy relationship with social media too. Uh, is so, so, so important. And, and I think it's very obvious from you, kind of your humility and humanity behind what you do. Um, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, just sort of 
you're you're unafraid to show the imperfections behind what you do. Um, just a silly story. I think it was the Aldi post that you like put in your caption. Like, by the way, I'm not really standing in front of an Aldi. <laughs> I just photoshopped myself in front of an Aldi. There was no reason for you to write that. Yeah. Technically, like <laughs> there's no social media manager that would encourage that. Yeah. It was my favorite part of the post, you know, because <laughs> it's just so perfectly imperfect. And it, it just gave me a laugh. And I think it really summed up uh, who Joe Duff is. And I mean that in the best way possible. I just think you're awesome for really being you and never being afraid to share that with people. And it is no surprise to me why you have been successful and you've been able to continue being so passionate um, about sharing your food with people and your videos. So thank you for what you do. I will wrap this up by giving you a chance to tell our audience where they can find you because everybody listening should go follow Joe, uh, both on YouTube, Instagram, any of his platforms. He's got an amazing blog, which I believe is, I'll let you say it, but I think it's the dietchef.com. Um, but Joe, where can we find more of you? So on YouTube, if you just search Joe Duff, you will find my YouTube channel. Uh, on Instagram, I am the Joe Duff because, you know, it was taken. So I had to put the <laughs> uh, my, capital T. <laughs> my food blog is the diet chefs with an S dot com. Not a great uh, uh, URL because, you know, I'm the diet chef. Uh, but the diet chef was actually like $8,000. And when I was $8,000 for a website, just for the name of the website. So yeah, the- I know I'm, sh- I'm chef Michael with a dash. Cause I couldn't get chef Michael. <laughs> exactly. Like things we have to do. Um, and then uh, my other food blog, it's not totally keto. There is some keto stuff on there and there will be more keto. stuff. <gasps> not yeah. totally keto. <laughs> I know, right? Um, it's I'm hungry for that.com. And those are all the places you can find me. That's awesome. And you have two awesome cookbooks for download. Uh, one is savory, one is sweet. Are those on your website as well? They are on my website. So if you are into um, some digital cookbooks, they get updated once in a while. And it's totally free. If you buy a cookbook, you'll get the updates for free as they come out. I love that. I have not seen many people do that where they'll actually add free content to your cookbook. That's that's really amazing. Joe, thank you so much for what you do. You shared uh, a bunch of knowledge. You dropped some awesome gems today. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you here. Um, like he said, please find Joe Duff on Instagram at the Joe Duff um, or on his website, the diet chefs, plural dot com. <laughs> uh, and thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more about this rest, uh, this episode or other episodes, go to chefmichael.com slash podcast with the dash. Uh, join me for a little bonus episode where I'm going to reflect without Joe on camera about everything he said. Find me at patreon.com slash chefmichael for the bonus episode. If you haven't gotten a chance yet, grab yourself a copy of my cookbook. It's everywhere books are sold, new keto cooking. And thank you to our sponsor, Redmond Salt, for supporting this podcast, guys. They have the best salt in the game. I use it in my kitchen. You should be too. That's redmond.life. Use the code chefmichael for 15% off. Again, thank you to our guest, Joe Duff, and I will see you guys next time.